and keep your Bibles there open at first at Judges one, uh, Judges chapter one, uh, verse one to verse twenty-one. Now Janet is a young Christian woman uh, who suffers from uh, complicated uh, medical uh, conditions. Uh, she has been to the GP, but she feels uh, the GP is not doing enough uh, with her issues. And of course, this has left her very uh, confused and wondering where she can turn to for help. Uh, John is uh, 32 years old and his life already seems stuck. Uh, John secretly battles against addictions and terrible loneliness. Uh, John says, I feel miserable and lost. Uh, John, too, just like Janet, is looking uh, for help, a way out of his difficult uh, situation. Uh, Jim, on the other hand, is a 40, year, 40 years old and uh, in a very, very good job uh, at the university, actually. Uh, and at the, at the same time, the Lord has opened up uh, tremendous opportunities for him to get him more involved in church work. Uh, he recently uh, emailed me actually that he's struggling on how to balance these two things out, a great career uh, you know, in a university environment and this new opportunity, these many opportunities the Lord has been opening up uh, for him to get involved, particularly in the work of church planting. He just, just like Janet and John, he's, he's, he's looking also for help, uh, guidance, direction, in his life. Life is full of situations like that, isn't it? Uh, that leaves us looking for guidance. Uh, that leaves us asking for answers. And those things usually happen when there is a fundamental change that occurs in our lives. And in searching for answers, all of us, we are not alone in that. Uh, today we are beginning uh, a series in the book of Judges uh, which tells the story of God's people after the death of Joshua. It is a story of how they settled in the promised land, the land of Canaan. But judges, as we go through it, will ultimately see that really, yes, it's an historical story of how they settled there, but at the same time, it's a story about God's leadership and his grace to a sinful people. A people who do not want anything to do with God. Judges is a story of how God leads and uses broken people in every area of life. People like Janet, people like John and Jim. Today we are beginning as we do from, at the start of every book, we are beginning from Judges chapter 1. We are in Judges chapter 1, verse 1 to 21. And the question we are asking uh, this evening is, how should we respond to God's leadership and grace in our lives? And the first thing we see as we open this uh, book of Judges is that, first of all, God leads his people, especially in times of crisis. God leads his people, especially in times of crisis. Israel is facing a leadership crisis. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. After the death of Joshua. Joshua, their great leader, after Moses, 
has died. This is a huge problem, of course, because even though the Israelites and the Joshua have managed to break the back of the Canaanite resistance, they have not done enough to actually possess the land. The enemy has been weakened, but they now need to go in. They are, in, they are on the edge of the promise, and they, they need to go in now to take possession of what God has already promised them. They must do the actual dirty work of possessing it. But the problem is that their leader is now dead. And God hasn't appointed a deputy. You recall when Moses died, God had already prepared what? Joshua. This situation is different. The leader is dead and there's no replacement. And so they have to go to God with a burning question and we see it there in verse 1. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Seeking God is always a good place to start in a time of crisis, isn't it? Because God answers our prayers. And in this case, God gives clear instruction to the people of Israel. Look at verse 2. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. God is saying, well, I'm glad you came to ask. He's probably speaking through the high priest, of course. I'm glad you came to ask. We should go up. I have a plan already. I've given this much thought already. I have a plan. Judah will lead because the scepter will not depart from Judah. It must go first, just as I promised. He will go and lead. But don't worry. I have already given you victory. Joshua is dead, but I am not. I will lead you. What a gracious God we serve, isn't it? Many of us find ourselves facing a Joshua situation in our lives. Uncertain situations. And we need to hear God's reassuring voice here that he is with his people. I don't know what your Joshua situation is at the moment. Perhaps your Joshua situation is the health that you have always depended on. Now it is deteriorating and you find yourself asking, what sort of future will I have in 2017? Perhaps your Joshua situation is a lack of leadership at your workplace. You are facing tough decisions at work and often it feels like you're on your own with little support from those around you. You sure can't do with some help. And just like the nation of Judah, you are asking, where can I find help? Well, the good news of judges is that if you belong to God, He is with you. He is saying, I will lead you. So take your situation to him, as Judah does here. Let God lead you through it. The God of the Bible is a living God. He is a God who answers prayers. So talk to him. That is the good news of judges. 
throughout Judges, we see God interacting with his people, hearing their cries and responding to them. Our God listens and he longs to lead us. That's the good news. The bad news, of course, and here's the bad news. And this is our second point this evening. God leads his people, but we follow him half-heartedly. God leads his people, but we follow him half-heartedly. Let's resume our journey uh, with the author of Judges. God has just assured Judah of victory. Now, at this point, what we expect, of course, is the tambourines to come out, everyone to get really excited, victory is assured, yeah? God has said it. Let's celebrate. Even before we win, because of course the Lord, the God of heavens, has assured us. But look what Judah does next in verse 3. And Judah said to Simeon, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Notice the very important word there in verse 3. And. That word and is indicating that all of this is happening at the same time. Judah has prayed. He has heard from God, if you like. The high priest has spoken. He has heard God's answer. At the same time, just as he has heard the clear guidance of God, Judah now, in the same breath, looks for an insurance policy with Simeon. Just to make sure. Judah has heard from God, but it is looking at intelligence reports. The war reports coming out of Canaanites. The, the Anaks are there. And he's thinking to himself, you know what I do? I need an insurance policy. Just in case I did not hear God properly. Or just in case God doesn't come through for us. We are all just like Judah, aren't we? We like to add to God's instruction. God says go. There's like, no, okay. Simeon, you want to come with us? Just you know, make sure. You see, simple trust in God frightens us. So what we do is to turn to the Simeon in your life. You see, the tribes of Judah and Simeon are blood, blood let me get this like blood brothers. Okay, okay, Genesis 35, verse 23, Mark that in the margin of your Bibles, it tells us that Leah gave birth to the two tribes. So when it turns, when Judah turns to Simeon, what he's really doing is he's turning to an established relationship rather than God. Let me ask you this question. Who is the Simeon in your life? Or what is the Simeon in your life? What is that thing in your life that you trust more to get you through life than God? What is your insurance policy of success? You see, for some of us, Simeon is our job. Whenever God tells you to do something, the first thing you think about is, is this going to fit in with my job? Oh, 
Of course, I've been there. <laughs> I know how Simeon looks like. He has been my friend and, of course, probably still a friend in many areas. When God asks us to do something, sometimes the first thing we think of is, how is this going to fit in with family? How is this going to fit in with my reputation? God wants you to obey him without additions or subtractions. Friends, it is not that God needs our obedience to act. God will always do what he pleases, as we see next in verse 4 and 5. Look at that. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands. And they defeated, what, ten thousands of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Judah and Simeon have abandoned God, but he has not abandoned them. The God of Israel is a God of grace. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And we see that grace here as he stands by them and delivers this victory, but he does more than that. He even uses them as an instrument of justice against their enemies. Look at verse 6 to verse 9. It says this, And Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps from my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. And they say, tells us, and the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterwards, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites and lived in the hill country in the Negev and in the lowlands. Now, all this gory detail of, you know, the cutting of thumbs of Adonai Bezek seems sounds a bit worrisome, frankly. But in fact, the chopping off of thumbs here was a common war practice in ancient times. It is meant to disable Adonai Bezek for future military service. And in the case of Adonai Bezek, he actually admits it himself there. He admits it that he deserves this because he himself has been doing this to others. He recognizes God's justice. And more than that, the author of Judges is making it clear to us that even pagans can see that God is at work in the advancement of Judah. God leads his people even though his people are not always following him. He's a God of grace. And friends, as I reflected on this, I thought, what a sobering truth. Because look at us as a church. Are we, as a church, faithfully obeying God? We may say, of course we are. We must be. I mean, we must be obeying God because God is blessing us. Has not God sustained this church over so many years? 
Has God not sent us a pastor? I think, you know, all right. Yeah, maybe that's not a blessing. But has God not done that? Given us some form of leadership? Has God not given us a recent baptism that we're so joyful and happy with? And new members, the Lord who continue to add to our numbers this month. As, as no God given us new contacts in the community, many gifts is given us, financial gifts, grants, acts of goodness from other churches. Pastor Daniel coming, giving us those three undeserved months of serious evangelism. Surely all must be well, we may be saying. We must be doing something, right? No. No, says the author of Judges. God is always faithful to what he says, not to who we are or what we do. We must never take our blessings as a seal of approval. God's blessings actually should make us search inside our hearts. Yes, we should rejoice at them, but there should also be serious weeping at the same time, because there are many areas of our life together where we are half-hearted in obeying God, if we are honest. So as a church, we need to constantly ask ourselves, where are we refusing to obey God's clear commands in our life together? Are we obeying God in personal evangelism? Are we obeying God in discipling one another fully? Are we obeying God's command to care for those among us? Are we obeying God's command when Paul writes to Titus, he says, other women take care of younger women. Are we obeying God's command in that area, for example? Are we obeying God in sacrificial giving? We must constantly identify with all the blessing God gives us. It should make us weep so that we come before God and see He can enable us to see ourselves as He sees us. We must identify those areas and repent before God. But someone may say, well, if God still leads, and He does, why does it matter if we are half-hearted? I mean, he's <laughs> leading the church. Does it matter? You know, some hyper-Calvinists probably will, say, will ask that question. Well, it matters. Because God does not condone disobedience in anyone. And that's our third point. God leads his people and never condones disobedience. Now, after some brief details you see in this text before us, uh, of the exploits of, of, um, of Caleb's family. We see actually particularly uh, in these verses from verse 10 to verse 15 of Caleb's family doing amazing exploits, and we'll come to those in a moment. The author of Judges actually gives us an update on the rest of Judah. Look at verse 16 uh, to verse 18 there uh, for a minute. Look at that, verse 16 to verse 18. It says this, And the descendants of the Canaanites, that's Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev, near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. 
And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephyr and devoted, devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Omer. And Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. They have devastated the Philistines and they've captured everything. God grants more victory for Judah and then we get a surprise in verse 19. Look at that. And the Lord was with Judah. And Judah took possession of the hill country, we are told. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they are chariots of iron. That's a shock. At first reading, it sounds like the iron is actually too strong for God. Is it? Not at all. The God of Israel is omnipotent. This is a God who has made the sun stand still. Or the earth stand still, whichever way you want to look at, look at things. What has actually happened here is that Judah's failure to trust God has become more obvious with tougher opponents. You see, God is powerful, but Israel's lack or Judah's lack of simple and family reliance on God has made them afraid of the iron chariots. And now they just decide to give up. Sometimes it looks like you are trusting God until you face a situation that really exposes your lack of trust in God. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? He says, I have kept all of these things, etc., etc., etc. Then Jesus said, oh, I have good man. Thank you, you came. Uh, go and sell that car you got down there. Go and sell some of your possessions. Give them to the poor. What happened to the man? Then he became very sad. The only man who encountered Jesus and went away sad. And this is what has occurred to Judah and other tribes. Look at verse 21. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out, we are told in verse 21, the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. They are giving up because they always had a heart of compromise. God is full of grace, but because and because he is gracious, he never condones disobedience. On the contrary, God always allows our disobedience to play itself out. He allows it to play itself out so that in the end we may see the darkness of our heart and we may see how much we really need it. You see, Judah's failure here to finish their conquest is God's grace in action, actually. Because their lack of trust in God is now exposed so that they should turn and repent before God. They are experiencing what I call divine frustration. <clears throat> Maybe you are going through that period of divine frustration. God has allowed an iron chariot in your life that seems impregnable 
And you are looking at these iron chariots like Judea did, and you are thinking, the chariot is the problem. Have you considered whether God is allowing that iron chariot, that impregnable situation in your life, to bring you to the end of your faith, so that your only dependency is on God alone and not on Simeon? Many of us are deluded in thinking we are following God when in fact we are only depending on ourselves. So we need to, this evening, to carefully examine our lives and see whether the problems we are facing in our lives are a result of divine frustration. We need to ask ourselves. And then when we've done that soul-searching, and we need to do that as a church as well, where we face difficulties, in certain areas of the church life, we need to ask ourselves, okay, this particular ministry is difficult, it's challenging, we want to change it, we want to reform it, but is the problem that ministry of my own heart? We must ask tough questions like that. If something is very frustrating, we must ask that. We should do that at home as well. I mean, God could bring divine prosperity in the home environment, right? He could allow it. And we must ask, is that difficult situation there, exposing something about my own sinfulness? Has God allowed this difficult situation here to see the depth of darkness in my own heart so that he could change me and renew me? Is that iron chariot there to expose my sin? And when God does that, we must come before him, search our hearts, and then do what one family does in this historical event. And this is our final point. God leads his people, so trust him. Trust him. In the middle of Israel's raging battles to take possession of the land of Canaan, we meet a family at the age of Hebron that is different from everyone else in the land of Israel. Track back with me to verse 10. And Judah, we are told, went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kriath Habah, and they defeated Shishai and Hyman. I'm just going with our brother, uh, brother Michael's pronouncing these names. Uh, don't take my word for it, take brother Michael's word for it. Shishai, Hyman, and Talmai. The names in verse 10 are the descendants of the giant Anak we read about in Numbers 13. Uh, that's your homework for this evening to read Numbers 13. And we are told that this battle that takes place in verse 10 is a battle that is won by a man called Caleb. We know that from verse 20. Check verse 20 there. What does he say? And Abraham was given to Caleb as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. You remember that when Moses sent spies to check out the land of Canaan, everyone was frightened of the descendants of Anak, except young Caleb, who boldly declared 
Let us go up at once and occupy it at once. Now many years have passed and the war general Caleb is striding along powerfully in faith into Hebron and he sees his troops and he defeats the three giant tribes of Anak. Caleb believed in God at Kadesh Barnea and he still believes in God now and God rewards him with great victory over these three giant tribes. Caleb walks by faith and not by sight. And Caleb's wholehearted dependence of God on God seems to run in his family. Look at verse 11 to verse 15. From there, that is from Hebron, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly what? Kiriasepha. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriasepha and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othaniel, the son of Kinas, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him, that is, Caleb gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. And when she came to him, she aged him to ask her father for a field. And as she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have set me in the land of the Negev. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. The hero of the story, of course, is Othaniel. He marries the faithful general's daughter. And, of course, they live happily thereafter. And they did. This is a, this is a, they did live happily thereafter. Because, of course, in Acts and Othaniel, what we have is a wonderful picture of wholehearted discipleship. They decide to make their home in the land because like Caleb, they believe God has given them this land. And in time, Othaniel will rise as the first judge or savior of Israel. And God will prosper Othaniel for four decades. And we are told the spirit of God will be upon him. You see, the faithfulness of Caleb and Othaniel in the middle of a disobedient nation, ultimately points us forward to Jesus Christ. You see, the history of the Old Testament, you know, trying to figure out what is the Old Testament about? What's going on there? It can seem more very complicated. But in short space, it's simply this. The history of the Old Testament is about God preparing the people for the arrival of a leader who is a faithful servant in the middle of who will be a faithful servant in the middle of unfaithful people. And Caleb and his family acts as, you know, types, things, pointers that are pointing to this leader. Every time the people goes wicked, God raises up someone who's a bit different just to remind them that there's a great leader coming. And Caleb, Othaniel, and Aksa are like that. They are pointers. And this servant leader, you see, Jesus Christ, has come far greater than Caleb and Othaniel. Because Jesus, you see, is God in the flesh. Here is what Isaiah, we read those wonderful verses in Isaiah over Christmas. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. Where the prophet Isaiah tells us, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Jesus we now have a God who is with us. The message of Judges as we begin to explore this chapter, we'll see that this, this, this book, we'll see that it's ultimately pointing us to this Jesus. And he's urging us to place all our trust in Jesus as our faithful Savior. Friends, let us trust Jesus as struggling believers who are always tempted to supplement his commands with our own. Let us trust Jesus as a church and not be half-hearted in our obedience to him. Let us trust Jesus as individuals and resist the temptation to, you know, to ignore God's warnings to us. Let us trust God completely and enjoy his faithfulness towards us as Caleb, Othanium, and Aksa enjoyed. Amen.